0: It's Wednesday, August 25th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Biden has said that the U.S. will stick to the August 31st deadline to evacuate from Afghanistan, despite calls to stay longer. Biden said there has been over 70,000 evacuations since August 14th and also cited threats from groups like ISIS-K as reasons not to extend the timeline. Julia Manchester national political reporter at The Hill, joins us for the latest on the race to get out before the end of the month. Next, the recall election of California Governor Gavin Newsom is underway with a deadline of September 14th for mail-in ballots. Recent polls have shown that the recall is closer to passing than Democrats would like, and it all comes down to voter enthusiasm. Without Trump as a foil, are enough Democrats paying attention and energized to vote to defeat the recall? David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico, joins us for more. Finally, after throat cancer surgery in 2015 left actor Val Kilmer without his natural voice, he turned to UK-based software firm Synantic for help. With audio from old movies and artificial intelligence, they were able to digitally restore his voice. While in this case the technology was used for a benefit, there are some critics that say it could be misused. Dalvin Brown, innovations reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for how AI gave Val Kilmer his voice back. It's News Without the Noise. Let's dive in.
1: We run effective counterterrorism operations around the world, where we know terrorism is more of a threat than it is today in Afghanistan, without any permanent military presence on the ground. And we can and will do the same thing in Afghanistan.
0: Joining us now is Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thanks for having me. Well, we have one week left to get everything we can out of Afghanistan. President Joe Biden has said he's going to stick with the deadline of August 31st. That's next Tuesday to get any Americans that are left there, any Afghans and uh, other allies that we have that want to get out of the area. It's all going to come down to that one week. He did say that there could be a possibility of extending it, but that's contingent on the Taliban if they continue Mm -hmm. to cooperate on what's going on. So, Julia, what are we hearing out of this?
2: So out of this, we're essentially hearing what you said that Joe Biden is pretty adamant that he wants to stick to that original August 31st deadline. There was a lot of skepticism as to whether the U.S. could meet that deadline, partly because you saw all those chaotic images really coming out of Kabul airport of just complete disarray in the evacuation process. However, Biden said that 70 1, 700 people have been evacuated from Afghanistan since August 14th. So he says they're on pace, but a lot of this will depend on the Taliban. And we know that the U.S. has been negotiating with the Taliban, but at the same time, I think it's safe to say the U.S. is walking a very fine line yeah. because obviously the Taliban isn't someone, it isn't an organization the U.S. trusts.
0: And President Biden also said that there is heightened security concerns there. ISIS-K and the possibility that, uh, you know, they can cause some more trouble there. So these are all continuing reasons why the president wants to get out of there by the 31st.
2: Absolutely. And on that point about evacuating the troops and getting that equipment out, that's very important. I mean, it seems like it would be a very precarious situation if a group like ISIS-K or even the Taliban, and the Taliban already has access to U.S. equipment that was left behind that we're seeing. You know, we don't want to leave a a vacuum behind in Afghanistan. We don't want to create an environment where this group ISIS-K can, or even, you know, other terror organizations can really create a training ground for terrorists and really create, I guess, a a central point for their groups. Uh, Essentially, Joe Biden wants to avoid that, avoid that any cost, which is very understandable.
0: The president was in a meeting with the G7, the UN, NATO, the EU as well. Uh, And he said that they all basically agreed on, you know, how to proceed out of this, that, uh, you know, he spoke on the issue of refugees coming out of Afghanistan. He said that the international community is going to take them in, help them resettle them. Obviously, the U.S. is going to play a huge part of that. But what are we hearing from the other countries themselves? You know, this is just coming from President Biden right now.
2: Well, from the other countries, there is, you know, a potential, you know, initially we were hearing that they wanted to push this into September, that they didn't think it was possible for um, us to be out by August 31st. But you heard uh, the UK's Boris Johnson say today that they will be um, at least trying to stick with that August 31st deadline. I think you're going to see all of these world leaders want to be on the same page at this issue going forward.
0: Domestically, What are we hearing? I know uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans also have called to extend this deadline. But as you said, the president just wants to get out of there as quickly as we can.
2: So domestically, the president's argument and this withdrawal and how this has gone was that this is all part of a long term goal that he did not necessarily think this would go perfectly when he made the decision to withdraw. They knew there would be risks involved. But at the same time, we're seeing some Democrats and mainly Republicans really attacking the president's handling of this. And you're seeing a lot of Republican lawmakers as well as Republican candidates starting to attack the president's handling of the poll of Afghanistan. That being said, you know, going into the 2022 midterms, I don't think foreign policy is going to be top of mind for over a year out. So it's hard to make that prediction at this point. But when you look at polling, I would say the American people look at this in two different ways. Uh, you know, recent polls show that the majority of Americans say that this hasn't been a successful pullout, that they have issues with how this was conducted. At the same time, the polling is very clear that they do not have an appetite for to stay in uh, Afghanistan for the long term. So this has a lot of issues, it's highly nuanced, it's not yeah. a black and white issue. But you're seeing Republicans mainly trying to make this more black and white in order to attack Joe Biden.
0: Right. I mean, as the whole discussion is all about timing, the timing to get out of there by the 31st, yeah. the timing on, you know, if we get out of there and there is no fighting with other terrorist groups and something, that's that's great, obviously. But the longer we stay in the more opportunity there is for something like that to happen. And then, you know, the timing again, right? The Taliban has said that they don't want us there past the 31st. So there's criticism saying, are we caving to their demands? Everything revolves on on how this plays out and getting out efficiently enough now.
2: This definitely hinges a lot on the Taliban's cooperation. And, you know, we are hearing mixed reports coming out of Afghanistan that the Taliban is starting to crack down on who can get to the airport on the movement around the airport. So that's definitely of concern. So we don't know which direction this is going to go in because for the past couple of days, since they came to Kabul and you know, took Afghanistan, you've actually seen the Taliban on a bit of a public relations charm offensive. It does seem to be like the same Taliban as it was 20 years ago. But I think they realize that they need to be a little more, I guess, slick in their how they're coming off to the world and how they're coming off to Afghans. And, you know, look, they're going to want to keep Afghans in the country. They don't want to lose that talent, whether it is Afghans who have been trained in tech from Western influences in the country or have been you know, trained in other industries. They want to be able to rebuild Afghanistan. So this is going to be a point of contention.
0: Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. But well, we have our environmental leadership on the ballot. We have our healthcare leadership on the ballot. We have our organized labor and unionization leadership on the ballot. Joining
0: us now is David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, David.
1: Hey, pleasure to be here.
0: In California, we're going through a recall election right now. This is a recall effort against Governor Gavin Newsom. The deadline for this is September 14th. So everybody in California has already been mailed their ballot and the voting is down to two questions. Do you want to recall Governor Gavin Newsom? And if you do, who do you want to replace him? There's only two questions on that ballot. But right now, Democrats are sweating it. They think that If not enough of them turn out to do this, that uh, the governor can be defeated in all of this. So, David, what are we seeing?
1: I think uh, if it was a normal election, if this was a a normal year in November, maybe even an off year, but a normal time frame with candidates and issues on the ballot, this wouldn't be a problem at all in California for Democrats, right? They have this huge registration advantage. Republicans are less than a quarter of the electorate, and the governor would sail. But because this is this unusual ballot, like you pointed out, this two-question proposition, The polling indicates that Republicans are far more amped up about this election than Democrats are. So it would still take a huge imbalance of Republican to Democratic turnout for this to work for Republicans. But it's close enough in at least most models that Democrats are worried.
0: I think you spoke to former Governor Gray Davis, and he said that he's probably willing to bet that not you know, about half the people in the state know that there's an election going on right now, much less when the deadline is. And that's the huge worry is the, the turnout. I know the Latino vote is a thing, but just getting people interested enough to do this, as you mentioned, this isn't even the midterms right now. It's this weird special election we're going through.
1: Yeah, there's two things going on here. And, and Davis, I, I think, would put the emphasis on the first thing. Some other people would put it on the second. But the, the first is that it's August in, in an off year. And, and we're in the middle of a pandemic still. So there, people are paying attention to the coronavirus, getting back to school. They're not used to thinking about elections in August in California. So there's there's that going on, and that is a hurdle. And then the second thing is that we're really getting our first taste of elections in the post-Trump era. And Democrats were able to juice up their turnout with Donald Trump on the ballot or in the White House. And nationally there's been some signs already that it's a lot harder without Trump to vote against to get Democrats to turn out. There was a race in Connecticut. Last week, that had Democrats worried because this was a Biden plus 20 district that a a Republican won. It was a state race. And then there was a House race in Texas earlier in the year that was also low turnout and where a Democrat didn't even make it through the all-party primary. So combined with California, that's the concern.
0: Yeah, and there's 46 candidates running against Governor Gavin Newsom. I mean, that's a lot of people to go through and, and try to settle on somebody But that's what the Newsom campaign has been doing throughout this whole process is trying to pin it on uh, this Republican-controlled recall, trying to pin it to Trump supporters. Larry Elder, who's a conservative talk radio host in California, he's the leader right now in the polls, it seems like, also trying to uh, uh, attach him to Trump or make him seem even more far right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's this weird dynamic in California where... and. Honestly it goes back even further than this election, but but right now you're seeing Newsom spend money to raise the name ID of his chief Republican opponent, which is normally something you would let the opponent do themselves. But Elder obviously doesn't have anywhere near the resources that Newsom has. So it's better for Newsom if it's not just an up or down question on Newsom, but a question of Newsom or Larry Elder, who he, you know, is elevating his profile and portraying him as a, a Trump of California. What's I think quirky about California is that you go back to when he was elected, Newsom was first elected. There, there was also an effort by Democrats in that primary, the whole party primary, to spend money elevating the name ID of another Republican, John Cox, so that Newsom could avoid a two Democrat runoff, which ultimately happened. So if you know if, if Newsom's re- wins the recall, is reelected next year, we we could be at a point a few years from now where Newsom's legacy at least rests in part on spending money to heighten public awareness about
0: Republicans. The biggest thing, obviously, we've been talking about the recall process in California. It's a little kooky, like a near majority, almost, you know, 49.9 percent of people can say they want to keep Governor Gavin Newsom, but it could take far less than that to elect whoever the governor to replace him would be. And so a lot of people kind of talked about that whole process and how, you know, it's not just it's just not right, you know, that the majority of people won't actually vote for who the next governor is.
1: Yeah, that's a real weird process, especially this year without a Schwarzenegger on the ballot. You could end up, if yes passes, you, know, you could end up with somebody in the 20s or 30s being the governor. And that, that, that is truly bizarre.
0: David Siders, national political correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me. When we think of the most talented creative people, They speak to us in a unique way. A phrase we often hear is having a creative voice.
0: Joining us now is Dalvin Brown, innovations reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Dalvin. Thanks for having me. We had some interesting developments with actor Val Kilmer. As many people may know, back in 2015, he had surgery for throat cancer And he lost his voice, his natural voice. He could still speak, but it was very hard to understand him. Five years after that surgery, he connected, him and his team connected with a British startup company called Sonantic to digitally restore his lost voice. They've been doing some work with him for some time, uh, you know, for this. And um, they recently released some audio that sounds remarkably like the old Val Kilmer. So, Dalvin, tell us a little bit about this.
3: So Val Kilmer recently did a a movie uh, with Amazon Studio, the documentary about his life. And in the documentary, they go through what it was like for him to battle with cancer. And um, after wrapping up the film, his team thought, well, what if we can restore his voice digitally? And, uh, yeah, they worked with Symantec on some AI that does just that.
0: It's an interesting uh, company in the way they go about it. They typically require three hours of audio to recreate a voice. But with Val Kilmer, because of licensing restraints for movies and things, they used old movies, obviously, to to recreate his voice. They used 30 minutes of audio. So they released a a piece of it uh, to see what it sounds like. Let's take a listen to that, and then we'll kind of continue the conversation after.
1: But I was struck by throat cancer. After getting treated, my voice as I knew it was taken away from me people around me struggle to understand me when I'm talking. But despite all that, I still feel I'm the exact same person, still the same creative soul, the soul that dreams, ideas, and stories constantly. But now I can express myself again.
0: Now, the music helps, obviously, for that emotional tone, but you can hear emotion in that voice. Uh, how did they How did they do this? How do they go about doing it? Yeah. So the
3: company has a prop- uh, proprietary AI voice engine that they feed audio into and that their algorithms try to pick up that emotion that happens in words. And then it attempts to rec- recreate it. And so they have a sort of speech to text service where if you enter words, it will read them aloud, like the person that was speaking into the AI system, uh, basically. That's how it was explained to me. Yeah,
0: and in the end, I guess they made 40 versions of his voice. They selected the highest quality options. And as you mentioned, it's kind of a desktop text-to-speech program that, that, that they gave him. They said he's allowed to use it any way he likes, which is you know a, a remarkable for a company to let him have that that freedom with it. Yeah, he
3: can do voiceover work now if he wants to. He can do speaking engagements if he wants to, um, or, you know, even voiceovers for movies and basically just enter the script or whatever he would like to say into the system. And it would say it in his old voice. But yeah, while it is great for Val Kilmer and anyone, you know, anyone of his stature that or in his situation that's looking to do that, there were some people who were a bit concerned about
1: that type of technology.
0: So this project came out when uh, this other film called Roadrunner was coming out about the late chef Anthony Bourdain. The director in the filmmaker in that film used a different company to kind of clone the uh, uh, to clone Bourdain's voice as well, and there was some pushback on that. And then beyond that, you know, there's pushback that other voice actors have saying, "What if they use my voice to say something I don't want?" You know, all this stuff. There's it gets into a lot of murky territory.
3: Yeah, it certainly does. And it even gets into some legal territory if you don't get permission to do it. So in the case of Anthony Bourdain, the director said that Bourdain's wife okayed him recreating his voice. The wife later said that she didn't. But yeah, some lawyers that I spoke to said that if you don't get permission, then you definitely are liable to be sued for creating or making money off of someone's likeness. So in Val Kilmer's case, Sonantic isn't making money off of it. They gave him the product for free, so he owns it. But if anyone is replicating celebrity voices without permission, yeah, they can get into some
0: trouble for that. I mean, obviously this application could have tremendous impacts for a lot of people that are losing their voices, you know, kind of as we've been detailing and we've talked about those concerns, but Sonantic for their part, they seem like they're firmly in place in the, in the gaming industry and the film industry. This is really where they want the application of their software to be.
3: Yeah, that's what they say. They're only working with studios and gaming companies for voiceover work. So, for instance, if an actor has to do a lot of screaming, you know, that may take a toll on his voice. So instead of doing that, perhaps then the AI system can step in. But certainly um, there are concerns by voice actors that studios may try to use that type of technology to replace them. So, you know, I guess it's a catch-22.
0: Calvin Brown, Innovations Reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.